Hi, I'm Shona, and this is my podcast. I'm a mum, a pre and postnatal trainer, CrossFit coach, yoga teacher, and I don't take myself or life too seriously. Enjoy my podcast. Hello and welcome to this Happy Monday episode of the Shona Strong podcast. How the hell are you? I'm feeling great. I was at a hen do at the weekend and it was so much fun. I think that spending time in a large group of women is good for my soul. It was just such good vibes. Also, my friend, the bride, who is, um, whose hen party it was, she's pregnant. So obviously she's not drinking. Um, and I think the overall theme of the weekend was just enjoy yourself and eat delicious food and relax. And man, did we eat some delicious food. It was all about the food. Like we had pyjama pizza party on the Friday. We had rolls and sausage, bacon, egg, etc. on the Saturday. Then an afternoon tea. Then a really delicious Italian meal out where I had burrata and gnocchi. Mm-mm-mm. And then there was a brunch on the Sunday. Oh my God, it was just an absolute feast. We also had a really nice spa experience. And yeah, just wonderful weekend. Um, And I just wanted to chat about something that happened on the Friday. And then something my friend said, the friend that's pregnant. And just like get this off my chest and see what you all think. So on Friday, poor little Cormac. We got a phone call from nursery. He had bashed his face on the floor. He was outside playing in the garden at nursery. And he bashed his face on the floor and hit his front tooth and bent his little one of his little front tooth backwards. Ow! Doesn't that sound really, really sore? Anyway, we drove straight to nursery, picked him up, got an emergency dental appointment just around the corner, got the appointment within half an hour. Hello, isn't that amazing? And the I'd actually phoned my sister who's a dentist and she'd said what they might be able to do is put it back in position. So picked him up. He was absolutely fine, by the way, like great spirits. He had bashed his tooth just like 30 minutes prior to us picking him up. He'd eaten his lunch <laughs> didn't put him off his food. He ate his lunch before we picked him up. Took him down to the dentist. Um, and the dentist said, yeah, just leave it. And I was like, can you not like move it back into position? And she said, no, no. Because what that might do is it could actually damage the adult tooth underneath. And I was like, oh, so is there anything else we can do like aesthetically and she said no well actually it might go discolored because it might have been damaged it might go discolored um and yeah that that's it that's that's his little tooth and I was really sad I was really sad about it because my gorgeous perfect little baby has damaged his tooth and he's got such a gorgeous smile he smiles all the time he's got his mouth open smiling and I'm gonna see his little bent back tooth that might be discolored one day and yeah obviously not proud of myself for feeling that and Paul 
seemed singularly unbothered about the whole thing. Obviously, he was like massively relieved to see that that Cormac was okay and that he wasn't upset. He was like perfectly fine, still eating, not affected by this in any way. <laughs> but it was me that was the most upset about this. And interestingly, Paul reminded me of um, a time <laughs> we've got a 10-year-old dog, a Springer Spaniel, and when she was a puppy, she ran into a wall She's got a little shiny black nose. She ran into a wall and she scraped her nose. Didn't just scrape her nose. She gouged out like a whole slice of her nose. Um, It was like a flap. So her nose was black and it created a flap just at her nostril. It was it was really minging. Like she was covered in blood. Same as Cormac. Perfectly happy. Wagging her tail. Tongue out. Happy as Larry. But covered in blood. Um... So we, I took her to the vet because she was my firstborn little puppy. Uh, I was really upset because like the flap of nose skin underneath was pink. And the vet said, yeah, um, there's nothing really we can do. Because it wasn't like she'd like uh, cut herself. It just like she'd essentially just taken the skin off. Vet said, yeah, it'll, it'll just fall off and it'll heal. Just like any other, you know, scrape of the face. And I said but will it grow back black? And he said, no, no, the black bit's gone. It'll be pink. And I proper cried. I cried because my perfect little puppy was always going to have that scar on her face. Paul said, yeah, remember, uh, first of all, remember that happened and how upset you were and how actually it did grow back black. Um, But now Maggie is 10 years old and she doesn't look like a little puppy anymore. She's... um, actually got no teeth in the bottom <laughs> she's got no teeth in her bottom jaw no she does that's a lie she just doesn't have no it's her top jaw she's got no front teeth she's had them all removed because she bashed them and they like kind of same as Cormac she bashed them they got all infected and the vet just took them out so she's kind of gumsy um she's a bit patchy and scraggly in the hair but oh god like love her so much and it's not about what she looks like and It is interesting how upset I was about Cormac's little tooth and Paul was like you you can't you can't get upset with this because that's his face like some people have facial injuries some people are born with birthmarks like if you make a make a thing about this if you even say oh like if you if Cormac meets someone for the first time and you like mention it because some people do that like sort of apologize for something that's going on with them um then he will get a complex and and Paul is so right like he's absolutely spot on and I need to unpack how much I am like attached to my baby being perfect because life will happen like I want him to be involved in sports. I want him to be physical and use his body and he might get injured. He might hit his face. He might get a facial scar. He might play rugby and get like a big cauliflower ear. And it's just funny how much that seems to really bother me. So I'm, something I'm going to have to unpack. And interestingly, Paul was like, what What if he broke his leg? And I was like, but then he wouldn't have a scar. But actually, it would be so much worse if he broke his leg because it would be really painful and he'd obviously have to like be in a stookie. I broke my leg as a child. 
at the start of the summer holidays when I was in primary two and was in a full cast from my hip to my ankle for the entire summer holidays. So yeah, no, I wouldn't, I obviously wouldn't want that to happen to him. But interestingly, so that happened on the Friday, went to my, went to the Hindu on the Friday night. It felt a little bit sad because leaving my little baby with his little sore tooth, but apparently Paul says he was totally fine. And I was chatting to my pregnant friend and she was saying that she'd been reading this book written by a midwife and that one of the things that was said in this book is that we shouldn't prioritise having a healthy baby. We should prioritise having a happy baby. And that is so spot on. And she's so right because prioritising a healthy perfect baby is really ableist because some babies are born with health conditions, some babies are born with disabilities, some babies are born with disfigurements and they're still, they can still grow up to be perfectly happy um, and fulfilled individuals with really happy and fulfilled lives and if we really just prioritise health then that is an issue and prioritise our babies being perfect. That is definitely something that I'm going to have to sit with. Like, as a parent, we're always learning, aren't we? And that starts, like, when your baby's not even born yet. Like, how you view them and what matters to you and how you want them to not be so connected with what they look like. Like, I I definitely feel as a millennial woman, and I'm sure a lot of you listening to this are millennial women as well, that maybe you were raised to always look nice and pretty and uh, be, like, really well presented and have nice teeth and nice hair because, like, that's important to get a good job. And I remember when I got my first tattoo (laughs) and how, like people in my family were like oh my god you'll never get a job and look at me I'm doing perfectly fine with a few tattoos and I think as parents like if we also want to teach our children to have body autonomy then we can't be telling them what they can and can't do with their body whether that's even just like oh like don't play that sport because you could damage your face because it's their face (laughs) and if they want to put their face at risk of getting kicked or hit by a rugby ball then yes they can absolutely do that um I think that has been quite like a big big theme in my head over the weekend and would love to hear your thoughts on it so if you've got anything that you would like to add to this then absolutely send me a message I also want to answer a question that I got from one of my bumps. Let me just read it out. So this was in the Shona Strong Bumps group. This is my pregnant clients and it was a great question. So here goes. With there being so many misconceptions out there, can coning cause more chance of diastasis recti? I'm obviously not doing sit-ups or that. It's more that when I'm laid down and I get back up, should I change the way I'm getting up? I had kind of mentioned to Rosie 
about me sitting up to get out of bed and she said as long as it's comfortable and not causing discomfort it's fine but I'm a few weeks more pregnant since I last saw her and coning wasn't happening as such then. I know it's normal for our abs to separate but wanted to double check if this will create longer lasting effects. I would rather do anything I can to prevent extra separation. Thank you Rianne, this is such a great question. So Diastasis recti is the natural separation of the rectus abdominal muscles during pregnancy. As you get more and more pregnant and your baby starts to grow, those muscles need to move apart to make space. There's a connective tissue that runs in between the six-pack muscles, which are the rectus abdominis. And that tissue, that fascia, linea alba stretches and thins while that happens for most women once their baby is born by about three months postpartum their abs have moved back together and that tissue the linea alba has regained tension and thickness for some women it takes slightly longer and for some women it just never goes quite fully back together and they always have that slight separation and thinning of the linea alba. So why is that? We don't actually know why some women have that gap always there postpartum. A lot of the factors that might influence it are things that are generally outside of the control of the person who's pregnant. So for example, it could be genetics, i.e. you are predisposed maybe to have more of a stretch. Um, It's just like how some people have more stretch marks, some people have less stretch marks. It could be how many babies you have, so multiple babies um, that might cause more of a stretch. Um, It could be the time between pregnancies, so maybe if you had like quite a small gap between pregnancies, it could be the size of your baby. A bigger baby obviously is going to cause more stretch. It could also be where your baby was sitting. So you'll know that none of these things are within your control. It doesn't help though that there are people on social media telling you that you, oh my God, you should not cone. Cone is the worst thing you can ever do. And then there's also people selling diastasis repair, <laughs> repair, I hate the word, diastasis repair, because it's not an injury, it's an adaptation. There are people selling programs to repair or heal your diastasis. These programs will start generally very early postpartum and will have a lot of core exercises in them. And actually, if these women hadn't done the program, they, they would probably find that their diastasis would have come back together anyway, but they're, you know, putting it down to the fact that they've done this program. And then, of course, as well, the people who run these programs will have a ton of before and after pictures. So that doesn't help either. Um, it's horrible that there's this sort of narrative that women are causing their diastasis and that it's an injury. It's not an injury because it's a natural adaptation to pregnancy. So 
Is it something really that you can rehab? Is it something that you can heal? I don't think it's like a prolapse and that like I would I would class a prolapse as an injury and that would be something that you would work on and you'd rehab. But diastasis is kind of different. And most people, the problem with their diastasis postpartum is that they don't like the way it looks. For some people with diastasis, they have got that gap. So it means that their tummy sits out slightly and still looks a little bit pregnant. And that can be really not nice to live with if you are someone who's postpartum, your baby is born and you've still got people asking if you're pregnant because you've still got that sort of rounded pregnant looking tummy. We don't actually know that coning causes diastasis. So let me just talk about what coning is. So as you get more and more pregnant, obviously we've got this linear alba that's stretched down the middle. And whenever you maybe sit up, get out of bed, get out of a chair, and you don't necessarily manage the pressure, you're not really thinking about what you're doing, you'll notice that there is a little sort of coning in the middle, like a little pyramid shape. And what that is, is pressure going forward. Now, I have a podcast that teaches you the core connection breath, and you can do that exercise. And I'm going to also perhaps re-record it and talk about hugging the baby. I teach hugging the baby in my pregnancy yoga class. So hugging the baby is using your transverse abdominal muscles to lift the baby up and inwards. And you'll notice if you see someone doing hugging the baby exercise when they're pregnant, their their tummy sort of lifts up and inwards. Now, if you practice doing that while you get out of the chair or if you do core exercises, you'll notice that perhaps you're not coning quite as much because you're spreading the pressure out a bit, you're using other abdominal muscles, maybe you're exhaling through it a little bit more so that you're not having to have pressure go forward. So yeah, we don't know if coning necessarily causes a further stretch of the linea alba, but if we think about it physiologically and logically as well, if you're already have a tissue that's stretched because of pregnancy and then you're putting more additional pressure through it from you know excessive coning then perhaps you will stretch that tissue a little bit more what i said to the person that asked this question is that coning isn't something to be scared of it is something that happens when you get up out of a chair like and you don't really think about it but where i would be looking at avoiding it is if you were doing it in the gym for every single exercise. So say you had an like a press up. And uh, press ups are a really quite difficult exercise to manage the pressure. So you were doing like four sets of 10 press ups and every single set you were coning. That would be where I would be like maybe we need to change the exercise, we need to change the technique. And that's where hugging the baby can come in. It would slow you down massively. Taking an inhale, exhale, hugging the baby in and then doing your press up. Or you could even change the way that you're doing press ups. So maybe instead of doing a press up from your toes, you do a press up with your hands on the box or you do a press up from your knees with your hands on the box, something like that. 
Something that's actually really interesting about coning and diastasis, and this is again just a theory. Um, I remember being at a, a physio detective course, the, the female athlete course, and Anthony, the guy who was taking the course, posited that potentially diastasis and coning could be protective of your pelvic floor. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting theory. Um, and, and basically what you're saying was that intra-abdominal pressure, so um, coning, so when you're doing an exercise and or even if you cough, you might notice if you cough when you're pregnant, you sometimes do the little cone, coning. Um, that could be just another outlet for pressure. So instead of the pressure going down through your pelvic floor, it is going forward through the midline and that was a really interesting and kind of nice way to reframe it um quite often people with diastasis are told that they will have lower back pain they will have pelvic floor dysfunction they will have blah 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 but people can have a diastasis postpartum and have completely functioning and functional abs there is so much misinformation out there and again um people with diastasis are told that they oh my god don't do a sit-up don't do a crunch don't do any of these things because they could make their diastasis worse but what if you have a considerable gap postpartum and any exercise that you do causes coning because that's just what happens are you just to avoid all exercise so someone that it's quite interesting to follow, um, her name is Claire, Claire Mackay. I've talked about her in this podcast before. I think she's super inspiring. So Claire had a 14 centimetre um, diastasis. I've just got her Instagram here. It's Claire with an I and an E at the end, M-M-A-C. So she had a 14 centimetre diastasis and she did every single rehab exercise that you could possibly do she trained so hard and had a really strong set of abs she just had this extreme diastasis and she didn't like the look of it so she ended up getting surgery and her results have been incredible but the point of that is of my telling you this is that until she had surgery she had really strong abs and she was doing exercises that people on Instagram would be like, oh my God, don't, don't do that. She was doing toes to bar. She was doing V-ups. She was doing all the crunches, all the sit-ups, all the extreme. She even did a GHD sit-up. And if you know what that is, that is an extreme ab exercise. It just didn't do anything to the aesthetics of her abs. It made them so strong and so functional and actually meant that she's recovering really fast from her surgery and that also um, the surgery went really well because she had really strong thick muscle so basically my point is there is that it's not the worst thing in the world it's not to be completely feared because it is purely aesthetic and also another interesting thing about diastasis is that you might not even realize that you've <laughs> that you've got it um i actually at the same female athlete course that I was talking about had my abs scanned by an ultrasound and had my abs checked for diastasis now it's not something I've ever checked for 
I have been quite lean at certain points postpartum and I've seen my abs and they look very similar. They look pretty good. They look the same as they looked pre-pregnancy. But anyway, I had my abs scanned and it turns out I have a 2.6 centimetre diastasis below the belly button. I had absolutely no idea that I had a diastasis. Um, It wasn't something that worried me. I was 18 months postpartum and what was so interesting about it was that, like, I think I've got pretty strong abs. Like, I can do all the things that I want them to do. Um, They don't cause me any issues whatsoever. I don't really notice any coning. Um, I've got this diastasis. And what I found really interesting is imagine I had had that scan done at six weeks postpartum, which quite a lot of people book in for an appointment with a pelvic floor physio and they get their abs checked for separation. The physio might do it with their fingers or they might do it with a fancy ultrasound machine. Um, so the thing uh, is with getting that done, of course, six weeks postpartum, most people are going to have a diastasis. They might go away and Google it and see all these programs and really stress about it. Uh, and it might really impact their life. But I didn't have that when I was six weeks postpartum because I wasn't really concerned about my abs. I was concerned about my pelvic floor though. That's a whole other issue. And And I was just wondering like, what would have happened if I had been checked and told that I had a gap? Would it have changed the way I trained? Would it have impacted me in any way? Would it have made me scared of movement? I don't think it would have because I am knowledgeable about this subject, but someone who maybe isn't, it might make them scared of movement. It might make them fearful that they're going to make this worse. It might make them follow a pointless diastasis rehab program. (laughs) So, I hope that has answered that question, Rianne. It was a great one. Um, I answered it in the group as well and she said she felt a lot better and a lot more reassured. Um, So yeah, it does seem like a real hot button topic at the moment. I think a lot of people are talking about it. And again, it's just down to all the bloody misinformation. But things are changing and that's down to blowing my own trumpet. People like me. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, I would really, really love it if you would send it to people. Honestly, it would mean the world to me. I have a small goal. Oh my God, putting it out there. You know how people share their top listen to podcasts at the end of the year? They do that Spotify thing. I would love to be on someone's list. Even if it was like number four or five, just make me on that list, please, please help me. So yeah, send it to someone that you like and thinks would be interested by what I've got to say. And have a wonderful day. Love you. Bye.